Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, I'll take you inside the National Ploughing Championships 2022. We'll hear from NBI about the broadband rollout, the Kerry Cowboy on TikTok as a tool, and some of the Irish startups showcasing at the Innovation Arena. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. So I headed to Rathaniska in County Leash on Wednesday morning for the National Ploughing Championships. And it is so good to have this particular event back because it is a hive of excitement. Obviously, there's a lot going on from an agricultural point of view, but there's also, you know, oodles of food demos, technology, live music, all kinds of everything on display. Uh, We were there with thanks to the local enterprise offices supporting new and growing businesses in Ireland. And I made my way through the site from the National Ploughing Association HQ, where Newstock was based, all the way up to Road 27, where National Broadband Ireland had set up for the few days. They were there to answer questions and chat to people about the rollout of the National Broadband Plan. And I caught up with the Programme Director. Hi Jess, Fergal Mulligan and I'm the Programme Director in the Department of Communications. So we've spoken before about the National Broadband Plan. The rollout has been going out for quite some time now. Um, Although it was a little bit rocky to begin with, everything we've heard from MBI is that lessons were learned and pace is increasing. Uh, Would you agree with that assessment and are you happy with how it's gone so far? Thanks, Jess. Yeah, we're, the, the programme is now in a very positive place. Um, in, of course, the pandemic did create a lot of problems with the value chain and with different things happening, hiring staff and training staff in 2020 and 2021. But now in 2022, we're seeing real momentum building on the programme. So from the government point of view and the department's point of view, we are now seeing real progress and MBR are starting to deliver on their numbers. So they will have 100,000 premises passed by the end of December. Most importantly, there's nearly 20,000 now connected. So the connections are really ramping up to over 2,000 a month, as we believe it, and that's going to get higher. So the demand is there and people are now getting the service, thank God. So after all these years, it's now really starting to gather, gathering pace. Mm. One of the things that um, I'd spoken to you about before and I'd spoken to different ministers about before was the the penalties that NBI or whomever would, would win this contract would face if they don't meet certain targets. Have those penalties been issued yet? And has there been any sort of restructuring to take into account you know, the pandemic, the supply shortages and so on? So there's two parts to that uh, question, Jess. Uh, the answer is yes, there is sanctions, and we always said there would be very strict sanctions if MBI don't deliver. Now, as part of the contract, like any commercial contract, there's relief given where there's things that are beyond the control of MBI. So the pandemic, for example, created a lot of delays. So so MBI are at the moment up to about 11 or 12 months behind schedule, and we have pretty much agreed that about eight and a half months of that is because of the pandemic. So for any of those months or milestones missed that were not due to things outside their control, we are applying sanctions. And some sanctions have been applied to date and more will continue to be applied if they continue, meet, don't meet their milestones. And that will happen over the next 25 years. And that's not just for the build. There are sanctions also where they fail to connect people on time. So if Mary Murphy orders her broadband and she doesn't get it within the certain the timelines that we set out, there's also sanctions applied there. Also, if people that have the service, if there's 
damage done to the, the fiber lines or anything like that and they're not repaired on time, again, sanctions will apply. So that happens for the 25 years. And that's our job in the department. We monitor that every day and every week. And all the reports come into us every quarter saying where they fail and their milestones are on the key performance indicators that are in the contract. So that's something that we, we in the department work on diligently every month and every quarter. Um, former Minister for Communications, Dennis Nocton, uh, flagged a few months ago or a few weeks ago now that there may be issues with the mapping and uh, some homes that should be in the plan may not be in the plan. Um, is that the case and you know, should people be double checking the work of the department and NBI and everyone else involved in this situation? So it's absolutely true that the mapping exercise is not a perfect uh, map. It's, it's very very difficult to do that because house by house by house there may be issues with ducting or with different parts of the network. So the commercial operators have given us as much information as they can, but it's imperfect. So whether you're Saro or Virgin or Aircom or any other operator, you've given, the, the information they've given us can sometimes prove being correct when somebody makes an order and they can't actually get that fiber broadband service from the other operator. Now, the government has promised that nobody will be left behind, so everybody will get the high-speed broadband service. So our mapping, we've always said it, is dynamic. We can bring premises in, and we can also bring them out of the intervention area. And that's what we've done with several thousand premises so far. So if people have an issue, they should contact the department, or they should contact, in the first place, the, the operator that is in their area to make sure that they can resolve the issue first. And that's the promise from government, is that no matter where you are, you will still get a high-speed broadband service, either from the commercial sector or through the contract of National Broadband Ireland. Uh, we're here at the National Ploughing Championships. Later on in the show, we are going to be down in the innovation uh, arena, talking to some of the brilliant entrepreneurs making technological solutions to help farmers. Um, how important is the farming community within the intervention area in terms of you know, not only making their families' lives that bit easier, but also the process of supplying us with foods and goods that bit more efficient uh, from an MBI point of view? great question Jess. As you can see here in the ploughing there is so many small and medium sized businesses that are all based in rural Ireland and they are selling and they are buying and they need the technology to be able to do that. So that's why broadband is so critically important and that's why the government has signed up to making sure everybody gets high speed broadband and it's so critical that they do. There's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs based in rural Ireland and not only in agriculture. Most farms have two people working whether it's the husband or the wife and there's many, many thousands of white-collar workers now in rural Ireland who are working from home. I, for example, am one of them. I live on a farm in Wicklow. My brother's a sheep farmer, but myself and my brother, who work, live beside him, we work pretty much most of our time at home now. And luckily enough, we're in the intervention area and we have fibre. And it has made a real, real difference to our ability to work from home. We're guaranteed to have broadband Monday to Friday. There's no outages when we're on Teams or Zoom or any of those calls. And all our colleagues are now saying, wow, what a service you have. There's no interference whatsoever with your video calls. So that, that, is, that is absolutely essential for people, not only in, in farming business, but also who are working for all the Googles and the LinkedIn's and, and all those companies that now have people based in rural Ireland. Uh, I was out with members of MBI earlier this year and I got to see the rollout in place and we were just outside Dublin and it was a massive job because as TJ from MBI explained, you know, every single aspect had to be photographed, had to be logged, had to be assessed, had to be fixed and that's before you lay any cable or dig any dirt. So it's a huge process. Does that get more cumbersome and more labour intensive as you move into the more rural parts of the country, outside of the likes of Dublin and so on? Building a fibre network is hard 
in urban and rural areas. So there's no easy way to build a full fibre network, and that's worldwide. Everybody can attest to that that's building these networks. National Broadband Ireland is no different. It's coming across a lot of obstacles in terms of broken ducts or blocked ducts or areas where there is no network at all. But we always knew that was going to be the case, and that's why we said the build would take seven years, and we said the cost would be high because there's an awful lot of work involved. And as you would have seen in Blessington, and I've seen in Blessington, you, you cannot forecast exactly what those issues will be until you lift the lid of the duct and you look underground and see what the issues are. And NBI have seen a lot more issues maybe than we thought were going to be there, but they're getting through them, and now they're getting through them a lot faster because they have learnt an awful lot in the first two years, which now is leading to this momentum and pace that they're building up in the programme, but they're getting those issues addressed much more quicker than they were before. Yeah, I'm one of those people who've been sort of given out for years saying, you know, look, and I think it's a silly thing to do because we all know that everybody needs connection. We all know the benefits of connection. But the day that I was out with MBI, I really understood the gains that they've made in terms of knowledge and, you know, understanding how to react if and when a certain issue arises. Are you confident that we will get back on schedule? Because I remember talking to Peter Hendrick at the time and he was saying, and um, David McCourt as well, and they were saying that they were confident the plan would be delivered, you know, under budget and on time. Where are our hopes and dreams in relation to that now? Well, I think it is based more on hope. I think NBI do have a strategy. They are involved with the market and everybody in the market from all the subcontractors and the aircoms and all of these, this world. They're involved with every day. So I see in my meetings that there is an absolute willingness for NBI to catch up and they're absolutely committed to that. So I, I do believe they will do it. Um, I absolutely hope they do it for everybody in Ireland that they get it so, sooner rather than later. But I do think they will do it. And I think with this momentum building up, Building a fibre network is based on scale and it's based on having all those resources. So they have probably about 15 to 1,600 people now working this programme flat out and I can absolutely attest to the fact that they're working night and day to do it. So I think they're going as fast as they can and I think they will get faster. So I'm pretty confident that they will do this on time and hopefully ahead of time. I'd like to say how important, when you look at the ploughing here and the 90,000 people here yesterday and probably another 90,000 today, how important rural Ireland is and how important all these small and medium-sized businesses are for imports and exports and a thriving business. And you cannot do that without a world-class broadband service. And I think Ireland is going to be one of the first countries in the world that is going to make sure that that actually happens because we have a committed funding from government and a committed contract. And we're going to be one of the first in Europe to make sure 100% of homes and businesses in Ireland get high-speed broadband. Yeah, that was Fergal Mulligan from the Department of Environment, Climate and Communications. Uh, He's also the Programme Director for the National Broadband Plan. Uh, On Thursday morning, actually, NBI confirmed that its rollout of the broadband plan has surpassed 80,000 premises. Uh, So that's premises past. uh, And that includes over 7,000 farms. So look, progress is continuing. But I know it's frustrating if you are one of the ones uh, waiting for the rollout to come by your door. If that is you, if you're waiting for, you know, a connection date or even a potential connection date, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me an email, techtalk at newstalk.com. Now, I actually caught up with a family at the Ploughing Championships who told me about the benefits that every single member of their household is feeling since fibre arrived to their door. I'm Peter Randall and I'm from Isle County Tipperary. I'm Lorraine Randall, I'm also from Isle County Tipperary. I'm Jake Randall, I'm also from Isle County Tipperary. In recent times we've been um, 
self-employed as food producers. Um, I, I'll mention the Blossom Heron Awards that are on uh, this next weekend. We've got a couple of uh, bits in the uh, in the finals there. Um, so we, we, we make um, granola, uh, we make some chutneys and various bits and pieces um, which we sell locally. Um, I'm coming up retirement age so I'm actually trying to slow down a bit. Um, because of the fast broadband speed we now have, Lorraine has managed to get a job and she's working from home, from a home office. We couldn't have done that beforehand. Um, we had a satellite installation, which we're very grateful for. It was good, but it's not as good as what we've got right now. What sort of pressures were you facing when you had the satellite broadband? Because I've heard horror stories of, you know, if the wind blows or if the trees are in bloom, the signal drops down. Was that your experience? We struggled to watch a movie on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a number of people who came along with their pole and put their antenna up and said, sorry. Too many trees. You know, this, yeah, the tree line's in the way, you won't get a signal. Now, we did eventually find someone who gave us a signal. Um, but, yeah, you know, you'd have to shout, can you get off your devices if you wanted to send an attachment uh, on an email or something like that? The bandwidth just wasn't there. And so as, as a producer and as someone who, you know, can now work from home, it must be of huge benefit. Different doors must have been opened for you to be able to live a different kind of life from yeah, the same place. Not so much different doors opening, but we can all do our own thing at the same time. So Jake can be playing whatever his game is playing. Uh, watching what's, Cobra Kai. What's the, yeah, it's Cobra Kai at the moment. Lorraine can be working uh, in the office. I could be watching a movie or, you know, doing emails on my phone or whatever because we've just got great strength. Um, one of the big differences for us is I've been able to install um, a security system that's operated by the Wi-Fi. So I could get an alert on my phone here uh, and assuming I've got a signal here, I can dial in and check my camera at home as to what's going on. We could never do that before. So that's, that's a real bonus for us. Um, yeah, I, I get a live feed on, onto my phone, so I can and, you know I can talk to people, I can set an alarm off, I can do all sorts of things. Couldn't do any of that before. And Jake, it must be great for you to be able to watch Cobra Cry uninterrupted while your mum and dad do their thing. Yeah, sure. You know, I get to play with my friends as well. Like, you know, I used to have no internet. I got my other bedroom. Like, it used to be very slow, and now it's just the same as the rest of the house. Has it tapped into new opportunities from a business point of view for you as well? Are you doing more e-commerce or on anything online as a result? Well, we, do, we have an online shop. Uh, shameless plug, islefoods.ie. Um, but but we, we get that information, and we get it quicker. And before, sometimes you couldn't get onto your, your site to see what the orders were, whereas now we have that tab permanently open. Um, so, it, you know, it, you almost forget about the benefits, but I'm telling you what, if, it, if, if the cable broke tomorrow, we would notice it big, big time. Uh, and if we were thinking of ever moving, we wouldn't go anywhere else unless we could get that connection. You were able to work from home as a result of having this fibre connection. Yeah. Um, how has that been from your own side? Well, it's made a huge difference because it's a guaranteed income. You know, for years we've been self-employed, so you don't know every week what money you've got coming in. So now, you know, we know that there is a definite amount every week coming in. And again, that was dependent on us being able to have the fast broadband because I had to do speed tests, you know, when I, as part of the interview for, for the job. It's, it's mad to think that something as that a lot of us take for granted, such as connectivity, could be a barrier for someone to get a reliable paycheck every single month. It's, it's bonkers. Yeah. Well, for me, I hadn't sort of been back to work, you know, in a, in a workplace for 
2006, a long time. So, you know, being able to work from home makes it a lot easier than the thought of having to go into an office and, you know, everyone, most of the people working in our company are all remote workers. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's the Randall family uh, talking to me at the National Ploughing Championships 2022. And you can hear that, you know, it's given new freedoms uh, for members of that household to work to watch Cobra Kai whenever they want, but also to continue to develop their business, uh, which is just fantastic. So again, I would love to hear from you. If fibre has arrived at your door or if broadband, a good solid connection has arrived to you, uh, email me techtalk at newstalk.com. But equally, if you're still waiting, uh, I would love to hear from you as well. You can get in touch at any stage. I'm also on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, I'm going to take you inside one of my favourite places, and that is the Innovation Arena at the National Ploughing Championships to meet some of the startups looking to help Irish farmers. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. I'm taking you inside the National Ploughing Championships 2022 with thanks to the local enterprise offices supporting new and growing businesses in Ireland. Now, I've been coming to the ploughing for well over a decade and my favourite part every single year is the Innovation Arena. Uh, this is a, a set up by Enterprise Ireland and a place host to a number of startups showcasing what they can do and the difference they make to farmers. I went in and managed to speak to one of the award-winning companies. Dermot McCulgan, founder of Concept Dairy. So Dermot, uh, we're here at the Innovation Arena at uh, the National Ploughing Championships. Uh, remind us what it is that Concept Dairy is. So Concept Dairy is a software platform and we allow farmers, milk processors and end users lock in their milk price and reduce their risk. And we offer various different services to different people along that whole dairy supply chain. For those who don't uh, work in the agri-sector or may not be familiar with the back end of things, everyone's gone and bought a pint of milk or a litre of milk. We may not be familiar with what goes on in the background. So can you just tell us a little bit about that process and the solution that Concept Dairy is offering? Yeah, so a farmer usually wakes up at 5 o'clock in the morning or even earlier and then milks the cows twice a day, once in the morning and once at about 5 o'clock in the evening. So the farmer does this seven seven days a week and usually about for nine months of the year. But the farmer does all this really hard work and there is no idea what they're going to get paid for this milk until the middle of the following month. So they could get, it's like you going to work and not knowing what your salary is going to be. You could be making 500 euros one month, 1,000 euros the next month, and then drops down to 400 euros the following. You have no idea. So what we do is we give the farmers visibility. We show them how much the milk is worth into the future. And we give them actual real life prices for up to two years into the future of what they can actually lock in today. And how does that work? Because as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at sort of a, a presentation going by with graphs and prices and you know the little lock symbol and all the rest. How does it work that you can guarantee those prices if there is such fluctuation day to day? Because in the background, there is a very functioning market. So everyone thinks that dairy is liquid milk and that's what it starts off as. But dairy gets trans- transformed into cheese, butter, yogurts, and then all your different types of cheeses, your milk powders, your whey powders that all the bodybuilders use. All those, all those pieces in, in the chain have a different price. Those prices are all very, very traded in the open market. And from that, we take all the global prices from the US, from Europe, and from New Zealand, 
and give Irish farmers a price they can lock in. And one of the most important things about this is Irish, because Ireland exports 95% of our dairy products, we're so exposed to international markets. So we, we are, Irish milk price is a function of all those international markets. So we get all the information, put it into our hopper, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and give dairy farmers a price that they can lock out. And I, I, again, looking at the, the stats and the demo that's running here now, you can alter it based on what it is that you produce and you can kind of ensure that you know month to month for a two year period, as you say, you're going to get, a, is it a minimum or is it locked in at regardless of whether it goes up or down? Great question. So at the, mo at the first function we did was we gave firms just to lock in those prices. But with all the volatility over the past, let's say, 18 to, to nine, 18 months, or even last since the Ukrainian war, we've seen dairy prices skyrocket. And we've realized that we need to offer farmers more than that. So we've taken, from my background in financial services, trading oil and gas, giving farmers the ability to lock in a minimum milk price. So, if, so it's a setting a minimum price floor. So if the markets go up and go bananas, they get that price. And if it crashes down, there's a minimum price they're gonna get. And farmers are responding very, very positively to that. And talking of farmers, we're here at the National Ploughing Championships. Um, this is the first time you've kind of got an opportunity to be out and about face to face with the farmers. What sort of feedback have you been getting over the last few days? <laughs> when can we use it? <laughs> when can we actually start using it, locking our prices and understanding what our margins are? Farmers are crying out for the transparency, the price transparency, the ability to have, have some kind of control in their destiny and where they are so they can plan. Some of them have children going to college, other, one, other younger farmers are want to expand their herds, but they don't know how much they're gonna, money they're going to have to actually pay for that, to pay loans back. So there's amazing, amazing feedback from all the farmers. In terms of the fluctuation in terms of prices, by not using this price locking um, solution that you have, like is, is the fluctuation really that much? Is it that severe on a month-to-month -month basis? It, it can be. So it can go up five cents a litre. When it's going up, it's great. Everyone loves when it's going up. But when it comes down, so dairy mar the dairy markets historically will go up very, very gradually. But when they crash, they'll crash really, really quickly and 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 without very little warning. So this is what we're trying to insulate in it. And one of, one of the things that we always say, if you don't do anything, you're gambling that the market's gonna go up. And that's one thing. That, so by doing nothing, you're actually gambling, you're, spe you're speculating on the milk price. Yeah. Um, looking ahead, do farmers who use this platform, does anything happen to the end user? Do the consumers get higher prices because a farmer has locked in their pricing units for two years? So, very good question because at the far end of the scale, so you could have supermarkets, you could have big FMCGs like Unilever, Mondelez, Nestle, and then you could have Morrison's, M&S, or any of those big supermarkets, or even Dunn stores. They lock in their margins themselves. So, they are risk managing their own risk. So they're trying to buy at the bottom and they use financial instruments and various other pieces like from my old world to manage their risk. And unfortunately farmers don't have the ability to do that until now, until Concept Dairy. And processors, we're helping them manage their risk and a lot of our job is, is education and consulting where we go into a processor and show them how to do it in the background and give them the software to be able to see their full risk exposure and then pass the benefits all back to the farmer.
One of the things that gets reinforced to me every single year at the National Ploughing Championships is just how hard uh, those within our agri-community work. If you're a farmer, if you are from a farming family, you'll know how much work is involved. How labour intensive is the concept dairy platform for farmers? It's something they have to be checking on a daily basis. Is there a lot of admin involved in getting set up? No, we, we made it really, really simple to use. So it's literally, I think it's it's within three or four button clicks, you can send your order to your processor to lock in your milk price. And we made it as easy. We've also built a farmer portal in the background, which we haven't released yet, but that helps the farmers look at their projections and lock in margin. Um, one of the big thing, issues at the moment is, is the input costs have gone bananas, mainly because of the Ukraine war, gas prices have gone, so feed, fertiliser and fuel, so the three Fs are really, really expensive. So we just actually won a grant last week, so to pay for us to be able to develop, to, so farmers can lock in their feed, for fuel and fertiliser costs, as well as their milk, milk sales price, so then they can really control their margins a lot better and have a lot a lot less sleepless nights wondering what the milk price is going to be in next month or in next year. Yeah, it's all about that peace of mind. Uh, I see here that you won the Enterprise Ireland Innovation Arena 2022 UCD AgTech Startup Award. Uh, what does that type of acknowledgement mean and what does it mean for the brand to be able to be part of this innovation arena here at Ploughing? Oh, it's fantastic to win the award and it, it, it gives us validation within our industry peers, within the market, the market experts, within UCD, the, the agri-tech agri environment, also within Enterprise Ireland and amongst our peers, but also amongst the farming communities. So the judging panel had farmers on it, they had processors on it, they had agri-tech experts, they had financial experts. So it was great to, to win the award and it's, a, it's, it's fantastic. Well, look, it's great to talk to you again. It's brilliant to see you going from strength to strength and here at the National Ploughing Championships. Uh, best of luck and hopefully our paths across again soon. Thank you very much, Jess. Really appreciate your time. That was Dermot McCulgan of Concept Dairy. I cannot recommend taking a stroll through the innovation arena highly enough. It is such an exciting showcase of Irish agri-tech talent. And speaking of agri-tech talent, guess who I caught up with at the ploughing? Shane Sylvain, Kerry Cobway. So Jane, everybody will know you from TikTok. You've gained a huge following over the last number of years. For anyone who might have missed it, tell us a little bit about what you do on the platform. I use TikTok to show parts of my life, I suppose, mainly that are related to agriculture or the Irish language and culture. Just random stuff that comes to me, really. I don't have massive plans put in for it, but, uh, but uh, people seem to enjoy it for some reason, then I enjoy them following. And you are sort of a digital native. Um, did you find the use of TikTok beneficial and easy to use when it came to showcasing those different parts of your life? Yeah, I wouldn't say TikTok is a very complicated app at all. Uh, definitely found it beneficial. I suppose when I started off, I had no big goal. I just put up videos of the farm and videos, especially my puppy, Brandy, and they just happened to blow up afterwards. And it's definitely led to much more opportunities in the media and diff different sectors, but I really that wasn't really what the plan I had in mind when I started out. It's just the way it happened. Yeah, uh, you do give great insight into your day-to-day -day life, and a big part of that is um, agriculture in Ireland with a little bit of Gaelga. Um, you're here at the ploughing, and TikTok is here at the ploughing as well. We saw a chalk TikTok around the corner. It's a very impressive setup. Uh, tell me a little bit about why they're here and the work that they're trying to get across and the message they're trying to get across to people here attending at ploughing. 
I think TikTok are very interested in their audience and they want to connect with them as best they can. And there are so many people interested in agriculture on TikTok. So I think it's great that they set up the stand here to engage with those people and meet them. But I also think they want to get them across the message of safety and well-being. I see I was inside there today and on the walls they have a lot of messages and advices, I suppose, to young people that are using the app and how to stay safe and use it properly. And I think it's great that they're engaging with the community and trying to get their message across. Mm. People who try to figure out how to blow up on TikTok very often fail because I don't think there's a perfect science to it. I think a lot of it is timing and luck. But for people who are looking to get involved in the agri-tech, the agri-space, the Irish space within TikTok, are there particular hashtags they should be using on their videos and searching for to try and get part of that community? I get that kind of question all the time and I never give a satisfactory answer. (laughs) I always say that the secret to blowing up on TikTok is to get a good dog and a thick accent. But uh, in terms of hashtags, I, I barely even use them. I see nearly every video has hashtag FYP or whatever. I don't generally bother with that at all and it still seems to work out but I'm sure if you do use them they probably are more effective. It's just never been my method of getting videos out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's fair enough. Uh, so you've been here at, at Ploughing. Um, is this your first time at Ploughing? This isn't my first time, no. I've been coming here since I was about 14. Okay. Now of course we had a three year gap over Covid and all that but uh, no I definitely was coming to Ploughing all the time beforehand and even as a child I remember myself and my sister used to be dying to go but our father wouldn't bring us because we were too small for all the walking. It's amazing the amount of walking you'd be doing. But we'd always get a present when he'd come back, so we were delighted. And what is the appeal of the plan? Because I've been here for the last 14 years uh, with News Talk, and the first time I came, my mind was blown. I'd never really tapped into this side of Ireland at all. So as someone who's from rural Ireland, interested in the agri-space, what is it about ploughing that makes it such a must-attend event? Well, I think agriculture can be a lonely kind of a lifestyle, especially if you don't have a family. There are a lot of farmers out there that, other than going to the shop or the pub, they don't meet anyone. So I think that for all these people to come together in a community and something that they're all interested in, have this common space, it's a huge thing for them. And I think that people of all ages are drawn to it, from the youngest of children all the way up to the... I'll say the seniors, I won't say that they're old people, but um, all kinds of ages are coming here and I think it's, it's a really great thing. And that's what it is, it's a community, people join together for a common interest. Yeah, that is TikTok star, the Kerry Cowboy, talking to me at the National Ploughing Championships this year. Uh, TikTok had a very prominent display at the event, which was quite cool. As you heard Shane say there, they were showcasing and highlighting different safety aspects, uh, but also talking through how to build a community regardless of what your interests are. So there you have it. That was my time at the National Ploughing Championships with thanks to the local enterprise offices. Uh, When we come back here on Newstalk, we'll have the latest on the shaky iPhone 14 and the GTA leaks. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. If you want to get in touch at any stage, you can do so. Drop me an email, techtalk at newstalk.com. Or every Monday, I do a Q&A on my Instagram. So if you search at Jess Kelly NT, uh, you will see a weekly Q&A. So if you're looking for a product recommendation, if you're looking for help with some sort of niggly tech issue, uh, you can pop it into my Instagram every single Monday. And talking of issues, uh, there were two tech stories this week that got people rather animated. The first related to the brand new iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max. These are the beast iPhones. They're the most expensive ones. They have the most impressive cameras. But there was also a little bit of an issue. Take a listen to this. Are you kidding me? Wait, can, can we actually... 
see it shaking. Yeah, that is one iPhone 14 Pro or Pro Max owner uh, experiencing what was being called shaky camera lens or the wobbly iPhone. Uh, So basically there was an issue with some firmware on the new phones whereby when people tried to use the camera on TikTok or on Instagram, for example, that little buzzing noise was happening and the camera was shaking, uh, which was obviously not ideal. Uh, Apple acknowledged the issue and then they also pushed out an update. Um, So there is a new version of iOS. If you haven't updated, I think it's iOS 16.0.2 and it has a number of bug fixes in it. But the the first one on the list is that shaky camera thing. Uh, So if you have an iPhone 14 or uh, 14 Pro or Pro Max, Uh, It is worth doing that update. It's always worth doing the updates anyway. Uh, But head into settings, go to this top and type in software and you'll be able to see the software update there for you. uh, And it should fix that issue. But the other story that got the world talking uh, related to Grand Theft Auto 6. Details emerged. There were serious leaks um, and it's now being investigated by the FBI. So this is serious business. Uh, John Riley, editor of TheEffect.net, is with me now. Uh, John, what do we know about what happened here? Yeah, so this is one of probably the biggest leaks in gaming history. And that's not to sound hyperbolic, you know, over the top and dramatic, but it really is. It was such a significant leak for one of the, if not one, yeah, one of the biggest game developers in the world, as you said, Rockstar Games. And they make uh, the Grand Theft Auto series, which I'd, I'd imagine a lot of your gaming and non-gaming listeners would be fully aware of as one of the kind of the most famous gaming titles in the world. So, yeah, last Sunday, um, there was a huge hack um, of one of their, uh, I think one of their employees at one of their servers or something that um, this guy in uh, the US, I think, um, not actually stated his location, got into the back end of of Rockstar's um, comms channels and their kind of servers and took about 90 plus videos of the upcoming Grand Theft Auto 6, uh, which is probably one of it's, yeah, it's, it's probably the most anticipated game ever in an, for the next couple of years. So it was a huge, huge kind of issue online and it just blew up across all the gaming um, platforms. Twitter was just on fire about talking about it. Um, so, yeah, it was a serious deal. It was a big, big issue. As you said, with the FBI are now involved, it was that big of a that big of a hack or that big of a leak. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The team behind the GTA game said that they were extremely disappointed, uh, but there would be no long term effect on development. Some people may be surprised to under to hear that the FBI is involved now. Just explain why this is such a big deal, because GTA it's it's one of those gaming titles that everybody knows. So how much disruption and how much upset has been caused as a result of this leak? Yeah, it's just that it's such a significant title for, from such a significant developer to have, ha- you know, because for, 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 for as long as Rockstar are making games and ever since they really came into the kind of the upper echelons of gaming developers with the with the release of Grand Theft Auto 3 all the way back in 20, 2001, I think, or 2002, they've been seen as one of the best in the business and like they've always been incredibly secretive would always play by their own rules, would never attend any of the big gaming conferences with like the other players or the other kind of developers um, to show off their wares to, you know, to a certain extent. They'd always do their own thing and just drop a trailer out of nowhere after whatever, what, what would have felt like years waiting for sequels and announcements and whatever it was. So the fact that it was Rockstar of all developers that were hacked um, is it kind of says says it all about the significance of this. Like they, they they described it as a network intrusion when they officially kind of confirmed that it had happened. But like 
this game, uh, you know, people have been waiting for GTA 6 ever since GTA 5 launched in 2013. Like, we're nearly 10 years in, and we still haven't got a sequel to GTA 5. So the appetite is just rap- rampant out there. Like, gamers just cannot get enough of this information. So, you know, for years, there's been GTA 6 leak in inverted commas, but it would actually be nothing. It would just be someone that had, like, modded a game they were working on to make it look like a newer version and whatever. You know, the way the, the gaming community can be weird and wonderful at the best time. But when it actually hit Twitter and hit online last weekend and people started to realize, wait a second, this is actually real, that they've actually managed to access uh, pre-release footage, pre-release video files that kind of just show the game in a very rough state. Um, it it really kind of put, it, everyone was like, oh, my God, this is serious. And this is, as you said, the fact that such a huge company had been hacked, such significant pieces of information for an upcoming title that's still two to three years potentially um, away from being launched, got back, got onto the public domain. That's copyright material. That's, you know, that's IP infringement. Almost. That's a lot of stuff that FBI genuinely need to be called in for. Mm-hmm. And reading about the hacker and what he's done, he's actually kind of like tried to blackmail the developer to be like, I want you guys to reach out to me with your official company accounts and we can work on a, an offer. And I think he said five figures minimum. So he was looking for like a significant amount of money to give them back the information he'd leaked. And one thing that he did grab is something called the source code. And what this basically is, is the building blocks for a title. So, you know, it's literally how they build a game. It's like the Lego behind the the pretty stuff we see on the screen. It's how the game is built and, and held together. So if you sell the source code for a title, it just totally exposes everything that the developer has worked on for, for years plus. And that that is as big that's as serious as it gets really. Yeah, and I do feel for the the people behind the scenes working on this game because it is such a massive breach. And as you said, you know, we're still a while out from this title being released. So there was a lot of, uh, there was quite a buzz about the place, I think, uh, in relation to this title. Um, have you seen any of the bits and pieces that were leaked? Do we get any insight into the excitement or otherwise in relation to this title? Yeah, I kind of watched as much as I could before the, the, the developer went on a kind of a copyright takedown uh, rampage across the internet as best as they could. But look, at once it's out there, it's you're never going to put it back in the bottle. But they've done their best to kind of shut down YouTube videos showing the footage. And as I said, it's it's early early build footage. So it's not anywhere near what the final product will look like. So people are, like a lot of the gaming community that are well aware of how long it takes to build games and the way in which games are built are kind of annoyed by general... Uh, gamers that go, oh my god, it looks awful. Well, you know, this game looks so crap. We've waited nine years to see footage of this game, and look at how crap it looks. So they don't understand how games are made, basically, because it was just rough around the edges. It was working through kind of gameplay mechanics about how you know your character was interacting with the world, interacting with other characters, just all those like really tediously boring kind of back end stuff that the developers have to get right to make the game play correctly. Yeah. Um, so it didn't look anything amazing. It looked you know, it basically looked like Grand Theft Auto Five for any of your listeners that know what that looks like. It looked fine, but it wasn't going to, it didn't look like it was going to be the next great Grand Theft Auto title in the series. So, you know, I, I knew that it was never going to look anywhere as good as, the, as it inevitably will when it launches. But a lot of people were like, oh my God, I can't believe how crap it looks. So there was almost an education process along with kind of the excitement of, of gamers getting to see this footage that they're like, no, no, this is really rough for a reason. There's no way we're going to have, you know, if it looked amazing, the game would be ready to release tomorrow. So yeah. 
it's you, you know you have to kind of take everything with a bit of an understanding that it's it's so far off yet but yeah it's it's going to be the first title in Grand Theft Auto history or well since maybe Grand Theft Auto 2 back in the PC days that you're going to have a female protagonist or female lead character um along with well this is all again speculate we saw in the footage but uh, it's never it's not actually been officially confirmed by the developer but it's rumors have led us to believe that there's going to be a female and a male uh, lead character kind of duo kind of like Bonnie and Clyde almost Again, mm-hmm. if the rumours are to be believed, but that's kind of exciting. It's a bit different. It's very forward thinking for a game that's kind of infamously graphic and v- vulgar and kind of misogynistic and everything else over the years that it's been thrown at, that's been thrown at it. But yeah, look at Rockstar moving into the into the future, hopefully with this female protagonist. Yeah, fingers crossed. I, I do wonder, though, I, I said uh, from their statement there that they weren't, it wasn't going to impact the development do you think that they might go back to the drawing board? Can they afford to go back to the drawing board in terms of uh, time, but also money to, to make any tweaks based on the, the reaction to the footage that was released? That's a great question. And like nobody really knows the answer until, unless you're inside in the meetings happening right now. You can imagine there's a lot of meetings happening very quickly. But again, as you said, they're not going to change much. As I, as I said earlier, Rockstar are one of those game gaming developers that don't let anyone tell them what to do or how they should work on a title. So they'll do what they think is right. No matter how significant a leak this is, and it's as big as it gets, they will still go, look at, we've been working on this title. You know, rumor is since 2014, the second GTA 4 or GTA 5 launched in 2013, as you'd imagine, they just kind of started to create a little team to start working on the next iteration. Um, so we could be eight years, they could be eight years into kind of development, but I don't know if that's really can be believed. So, I'd be surprised if they didn't kind of just out of curiosity look to see what gamers thought of the initial stuff. Really, they shouldn't take any of it kind of, uh, you know, as serious as, you know, as they should. Just they sh- just out of curiosity, they could go, actually, that doesn't look like gamers like that part of the, the leaked footage at all. But again, I'd be surprised if they actually took a lot of it on board because they're going to do what they want to do. They have had a pipeline of development for, for a long time now, and this leak will hinder it maybe potentially, but it's not going to change much that it'll, it'll appease those those annoyed gamers that thought it looked a certain way um, as opposed to what Rockstar are trying to develop themselves. So I don't think it's going to change it all too much really from what we're going to see at the end product. Yeah, I hope they don't change too much because it does just give these hackers and leakers and Egypts a bit too much power. Um, so although like it, it was exciting to see some of the footage and all the rest, just don't be that guy. I know, I'm sure all the hackers in, in the world are listening now. Just don't be that guy because it ruins the excitement and the buzz when these titles finally do come. Um, yeah. And like I almost felt guilty looking at some of the stuff. I was like, I actually don't know that I want to see anything. I'd rather just wait until it, until they're ready for me to see it. So that way then I'm not prejudging, you know, from like nobody wants to see their in the works, uh, their progress reports being publicized to the world before they're ready to launch. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a non-win situation. No one wins in this scenario. We the gamers think we are, and we get to see crap footage of a game we can't wait to see. So we're disappointed. The developers are massively disappointed. So it's and then the leaker gets nothing, and like he's going to be hunted by the FBI now because it's such a significant leak. So everyone's a loser in this in in a kind of a sad in, a, in an annoying way. As much as we all want to see the next Grand Theft Auto, you know, they you know there's a timeline and there's a structure in place for a reason to give everyone the best. Uh, experience the best lead up and the best kind of anticipation for what is expected to be one of again one of the biggest titles in gaming history once it kind of hits the market like Grand Theft Auto 5 is the mo- it's it's you know the current Grand Theft Auto is the most successful piece of media in history it's mm-hmm. made about it's made over 6 billion dollars so it's going to be 
sensational when GTA 6 does launch, but it's just such a shame it's happened in this way and it just takes the fun out of it for everyone, really. Yeah, totally. Well, look, obviously we will keep you up to date on this case as and when the FBI uh, progress their investigation. Uh, John Riley, editor of TheEffect.net, thanks as always for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Jess. And that is all we have time for this week. I just have enough time to tell you that my review of the iPhone 14 Pro Max will be on Tuesday's Pat Kenny show at around 11.40am. Uh, the Pro Max arrived in to Newstalk during the week. It is stunning. It has that dynamic island, which is one of the biggest changes to come from the iPhone 14 lineup. Uh, so I will have that full review for you then. But I'll also be back with Shane and Kira on Monday morning uh, on Newstalk Breakfast. John Fardy's up next here on Newstalk. In the meantime, have a great weekend.